The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend, and we've got three of our favorites. Former A's outfielder Nick Swisher, Mark Gubazov, former All-Star, world champion, now a broadcaster for the Angels, and Mike Petriello from MLB.com and the MLB Network. But we start out with Swish. He is now on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I got to tell you, whenever you get to talk to this ball of energy, I mean, if you need to pick me up, you want to hear from Nick Swisher. He is truly an A's great, one of the best, and we love having him on the program. One of our all-time favorites, Nick Swisher. Yo! Nick, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the A's. Yo! What's up, Chris? What's happening, baby? Oh, Chris, great to hear your voice. How you been? Oh, I'm doing amazing, man. Good to hear from you, bro. What's new? So check this out. A buddy of mine that works down at Disneyland, when we found out that you were coming on, he put out there on Twitter, you'll see it on your on your timeline. He talked about how he took his younger brother to his first A's game. It was actually down at the Big A and how you were nice enough to go take a picture with his brother, and he's been a lifelong fan. You know, it's all those little things that you did back in your career. I, I, I'm sure you get this a lot, but just you were always so gracious to the fans. I think that's why everybody's so thrilled that you're on the Hall of Fame ballot. <laughs> bro, the fact that you're, you're saying this means the world to me, bro. Like, I guess I've always kind of been taught be kind to people, right? Like, do right by people. And right now, I mean, come on, bro, I'm on the Hall of Fame bout. Like, that's crazy to me. So you're right, man. Like, you know, I, I've been so blessed. Uh, I've been helped by so many people along the way. And I guess I've always tried to say I am the man of the people. You know what I mean? Like, I always wanted to take those pictures. I always wanted to sign those autographs, right? Because at the end of the day, I always knew that it wasn't going to last forever. So I think for myself, man, I'm, I couldn't be more stoked about what's happening now. But like you're saying, man, like it, those stories and the people that have reached out uh, to congratulate me on something like this uh, has been unbelievable. There's so many people to thank. I guess I can just say a big thank you to everybody, bro. It's been absolutely an awesome time so far, man. What was it like when you when you heard that you're on the Hall of Fame ballot? <laughs> probably, probably the same thing happened to a lot of people. Like, what? <laughs> you know, I... I just think maybe there maybe there's something to be said by you know like you know being being a good guy right maybe there is something to be said for that but either way man the fact that you know that they would put me out front like that with all the rest of those players I mean come on man Do you see the list of those guys bro like Andy Pettit bro like come on like guys that are actually gonna be in the Hall of Fame you know what I mean so for somebody like me. Just to be on that ballot, bro, means more than anybody will ever know. Well, come on. You're an all-star. You're a World Series champion. You, you you had a great career. Well, thank you for saying that. I actually saw a stat yesterday that did make me feel proud. said I had a higher slugging percentage than seven Hall of Fame uh, uh, right fielders. So I'll take that stat. I'll take that one. 
<laughs> no, it, it is so cool. And yeah, I mean, when you start looking at the names, I mean, you're talking about MVPs, Cy Youngs. You're on a list with, with some guys that we look at as some of the greatest players who have ever lived. Oh, bro, trippy, right? Like just super trippy. I'm, I, 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 my buddy called me and was like, Swish, hey, man, you're on the ballot. And I was like, what ballot? He was like, bro, the Hall of Fame ballot. And I was like, you're, you're kidding me, right? Like you're, I didn't even know what to say. And he was like, bro, check it out. And he sent it to me and I saw it and I made that video and it was just like, bro, it's hard to even explain because I, I don't even really know what to think. Like gratitude is the first thing that comes to, to my heart is just like thankfulness and thank you for, for giving me this, this nomination because it's something that I'll never, ever forget. You know, when, when you look back at your career, what, what were the times like for you coming up as an Oakland A? Oh, bro, the best, bro, the best. Come on, me, Joe Blanton, right, Steve Stanley, Mark Tien, Steve Obenchamber, I can list them off to you, man. We had seven first-rounders in 2002, that Moneyball crew. John McCurdy was one of those guys. Ben Fritz was one of those guys. Like, bro, we were all just a bunch of young kids, man, trying to figure it out and being viewed at that moment, right, because Billy Bean was so far ahead of the curve when it came to analytics and is the reason why the Oakland A's are contending year in and year out, because he knows what it takes to win. He knows the guys that he needs. And so for us, they let us be us, right? We could, we, that was back when we used to put the straps under our pants, when, you know, we put our pants over our shoes, right? We had the baggy pants. We had the long hair, you know, like we were just a bunch of young kids, like just having fun, like loving and enjoying the game. Uh, Joe Blanton. I mean, he's, you know, he's since retired. Uh, I mean, like, it was just amazing because they gave you the freedom to be who you wanted to be. And, and I think for myself, that was a uh, – there was no better place for me to go uh, than Oakland. And to be able to come up in that organization, I could not be more proud uh, because think about the dudes that they roll in and out of there year in and year out, and, the, and, and they're contending for championships every year. So to see what Billy has done since I had left, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of the guy, bro. I mean, he gave me my shot. Uh, I think he's an unbelievable leader. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, one of the huge reasons uh, why the Oakland A's are the organization that they are today. And you talk about, you know, the clubhouse is so loose. You mentioned you have long hair. They allow you to be who you want to be. And then you go to the New York Yankees. How different <laughs> the A's? Well, I think a lot of people might view that situation and think they need to change to kind of fit in in that position. I'm kind of the opposite, bro. Like, I know how to be one way. The one thing I did was I shaved up all that facial hair and I trimmed my hair up. But other than that, bro, I still kind of felt like I was the same Nick Swisher as I was when I came up in 04 with the, with the, with the athletics. So I think for me to, to have the opportunity – to come up in such a loose environment in Oakland and then have to, you know, and then going over to an iconic organization like the New York Yankees and kind of a, at least for myself, the first couple of days in spring training were stuffy, bro. <laughs> like they were super <laughs> stuffy. There was no music going on. Like not even people were really talking very loudly. And bro, day three, I looked at Johnny Damon. He had this huge karaoke machine right next to his, his locker. And I was like, Hey bro, 
can I borrow that for a second? And he was like, sure, what are you going to do with it? And the next thing you know, about five seconds later, bro, here comes that music, bro. I turn that music up, and all of a sudden, I look around the room, and people are starting to kind of move a little bit. And I'm nervous as hell, bro, because Derek Jeter and Pettit and Posada and Mariana Rivera are there. And next thing you know, nobody came over to turn the music off. And right then and there, I knew that things were going to be a little different in that locker room, and that was exactly the place I wanted to be because I was able to learn from Hall of Famers and I was able to be part of a championship team. And that's something that no one will ever be able to take away from me. You know, you're now, you're now in broadcasting, you know, just, just how shocked are you that we got through that season and actually had a world series? Oh, bro. Kudos to the players, man. Lots of love, lots of love to all the players out there, the sacrifices that they made uh, to give us the joy of watching live sports. Uh, I mean, bro, so many people lost, so many things uh, through the 2020 year. Uh, but, I mean, bro, let's t- even take this a step further. Could you imagine what would have happened if the Tampa Bay Rays would have beat the Dodgers game six? What would they have done with Justin Turner and the positive test right there? I mean, would they have quarantined guys for two weeks and then tried to play it again? I mean, wow, I think that we dodged a bullet there at the end. We were able to get through it. An amazing World Series, man. Stars like Randy Arozarena show up, right? Legends like Clayton Kershaw finally put a stamp on their Hall of Fame career. I mean, like, I could not have been more proud of the season, could not have been more proud of the players, and could not be more thankful of the sacrifice that those guys made uh, to give us this uh, kind of crazy uh, 2020 season that we just got to see. Yeah, we didn't, like... We didn't totally understand what it was like to be a player. And then we, we had Liam Hendricks on and it was after the season. And he went, he goes, going from the bubble back home to Florida. He was like, oh, my God. Like, it's it's like, it's like two different worlds. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. And also, too, I think just even just different places across the country, how they went about dealing with the virus on their own. Right. I mean, like. There were, there were fans in the stands in Texas, but nobody could go watch the games in San Diego, right? So there was just a lot of crazy things that were going on, but the fact that we got the season in, the Los Angeles Dodgers won that World Series, man. It was almost like it was meant to be. And for me, man, as a fan, as a broadcaster, as an analyst, uh, I mean, bro, we got the greatest game in the world. And I think all the excitement that we may have lost at the beginning of the season in baseball – by the end of that World Series, brother, we gained all that excitement back. Yeah, you think about the Rays. As you mentioned, they're in San Diego. They're in a bubble. There's no fans. Next thing you know, they arrive in Texas. Uh, they had to move their bubble to Arlington, and now there's fans. I mean, it had to be so weird for them. Yeah, of course, right? I mean, obviously, those guys are the product, and you got to keep your product safe. And obviously, in California, things are a little more stern than they are in other places. So I think, you know, I mean, no one gives the Rays enough credit for doing things like that, right? I mean, the Dodgers got to stay in Texas the whole time. So they knew how things were. But for the Rays, the season that they had, another small market team, right? Think of the things that they're able to accomplish with their payroll. is the same thing that Billy and the A's and Lou are able to accomplish with the payroll that the A's have. So it's not very far-fetched to say that the Oakland A's are knocking on that World Series door. A break here, a break there, maybe a pitcher here, a pitcher there. Uh, you know, they could definitely see themselves in the same situation that the Rays are in uh, this past year 
in the near future for sure. Well, you, you think about the A's, and they love doing one-year deals. So uh, I have a feeling. How do you see this offseason? I think there's a lot of guys that are going to say, just give me the one year, and I'll play this season, and then figure out free agency after that. Yeah, well, you also got to look at the landscape of where the game is going. I think if you're looking at all these long-term contracts, most of them don't pay off the way that you think they would. So what I think is going to happen in the near future, I think you're going to see a lot more shorter-term contracts for a lot of money, right? Because for me, as an owner, I would want to get somebody in the prime of their career. I don't want them at the end of the career. I want them in the prime. And I would be willing to pay more to have you in the prime rather than giving you 200 and some million dollars over 10 years. I'd rather give you 150 over five. I'd rather get you in that prime, and I think that's where baseball is headed right now. If you look at a guy like Trevor Bauer, I think he's kind of going to set the mark uh, this offseason for pitchers, and his philosophy is one-year deals all the way through. So I think, you know, you look at Josh Donaldson and what he's been able to accomplish in his career and how much money he's been able to make by taking one-year deals. I think that's exactly where it's going to go. I think there's a lot of guys uh, that are going to be bouncing around. I don't think the word loyalty is as firm as it used to be and means as much. But at the end of the day, man, it's a business, and you want to take care of your family, you want to put food on the table, and you want to try and make as much as you can because for a lot of these guys, your baseball career, that's all you're going to do. You're never going to work again for the rest of your life. So you better make a lot of money because it takes a lot of money to live the way a lot of these guys like to live, you know? Let's end on this. There's going to be a lot of free agents out there, and it could be a long winter. What advice would you give to them? Bro, be happy. Find a place where you're going to be happy. Because for myself, the places that I felt most comfortable and felt most loved and most comfortable, I was, I played my best. So I think for a lot of these guys out there, the almighty dollar is powerful. Uh, but that love and that happiness that you got to have each and every day means something too. So I think in general, if I was, you know, to tell somebody, you know, where do you go, right? At the end of the day, you got to go where you, where you think you're going to be the most happy. Uh, and for a lot of these guys, man, there's a lot of great players out there and a lot of teams that could use a lot of these players. I'm really excited to see the shuffle uh, that's going to happen this offseason because 2021, man, is right around the corner. After a shortened season this year, man, the boys got to get right back to work again next year. And I know people are already talking about the Dodgers repeating, but I know there's going to be a lot of teams on their tails for sure. Well, congratulations on being on the ballot. That is just, it's just phenomenal to hear. You were one of the best guys to cover, one of the best guys in the game. We love you as a broadcaster, and you know the A's fans are always going to love you, are always going to be a part of the A's. So congratulations. Be safe with your family, and let's talk soon. Ah, you're the man, bro. This you, mean, this you mean so much to me, bro. Those words mean absolutely the world to me. Thank you so much for having me on, man. To all the A's fans out there, what's up? Thank you guys so much, and uh, let's talk soon for sure. Take care, Swish. All right, baby. I'll talk to you soon. Man, Swish just gets you fired up. He gets you ready to go. Uh, Mark Gubazaw, always so much respect for what he did in his career with the Kansas City Royals and now a broadcaster with the Angels. We always love having Mark on, the former All-Star. Mark Gubazaw, Mark, how are you doing? Hey, Chris, what's going on, dude? I got to tell you, you know, what we've been trying to do here on Ace Cast Live is bring on from familiar voices. And, you know, as we're all being shut down, especially here in Northern California, it is always great to hear from you. And I know our fan base, you know, has so much respect for you. How are you? 
I'm doing really good. Uh, you know, we're in the same predicament down here in L.A. too, as you're up there in Northern California. So, you know, you just try to make the best of everything. Uh, you know, we had a lot of sports going there for a while with the playoffs and then the World Series and you had football, you had everything else going on at the same time. Now we're just uh, waiting for a Thursday night game or a Monday night game like we have tonight. So just to keep my brain going, that's for sure. Yeah, like how, how nice was it to have the Masters in November? Yeah, you know what? That's always been on my bucket list to be able to play that. How beautiful did that look even in November? I mean, I'd always remember it, you know, March, April, where you just have all, everything is blooming at that point. But uh, I'll tell you what, Dustin was incredible. I mean, wow, 20 under. Uh, that, that course is something that any, if anybody ever had a chance to play, it's got to be on the, on the bucket list. Uh, that's, that's a must. You know, we, we, we've talked about it as we got through the season. And, you know, as somebody like yourself, you know, working every game. And then we had the playoffs against the White Sox. And then the A's went down and unfortunately lost to the, the Astros in the, uh, at Dodger Stadium and the, and the bubble situation and everything. I, you know, the one thing that I came away with, and I, you know, obviously it was unfortunate that we lost. But I came away being so grateful that we got through the season. What was it like for you guys and the Angels? Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, nobody was thinking there was any chance at all you were getting through the season. I mean, it was every day you were wondering, you know, from everyone asking, oh, is you ever going to play the next day? So you had to worry about every day going to the ballpark for, for us doing the games was, what were you going to do the game? And, you know, so you're driving there and going to the stadium. We did all the, the row games at the stadium in, in a trailer in, in, the, in the parking lot at Angel Stadium. And home games, we were able to go up to our booth. It was somewhat a normal atmosphere. But uh, you know what? This be able to play the whole season. And I was really, I, you know, really proud of the A's considering you don't have Matt Chapman. I mean, that, that was huge for them not having him available. No doubt. It's a whole different series. I mean, he's, you know, he's beating up the Angels so much, especially at Angel Stadium throughout his career. He's an OC guy you know, from down there, right, right around the stadium in, in, in Orange County. But, boy, I'll tell you what, he's such a, an incredible player. I mean, finally, I think people finally got an idea to see how good he was on, on, on those, in those big moments where he could feel the ball so well, he could change the game with his glove, his arm, you know, driving the ball so well. He's just a phenomenal player. And for the A's to do what they did without him available, that, that's, that was pretty impressive. I mean, they, they've always had these core players. And Bob Melvin, who's a friend of mine, it's, this does a phenomenal job to get every single player to believe in that they're probably better than they really are. And they, and they perform that way every single game. Yeah. You know, we do the Bob Melvin show here on A's cast live. And it wasn't until after the season that Bob finally admitted that losing him changed the clubhouse because he's the bravado. He's the guy he's the, and not having him obviously hurt. And, I, I want to get your take on, you know, the series with, with, with the Astros. And I've already talked to Jeff, but you know, Jeff Blum, great friend yeah. of the program. Like it was a joke, like the ball flying out of Dodger stadium, the way it did. You want to talk about juice balls, juice bats, whatever you want to talk. I mean, 24 home runs. <laughs> it was, I mean, when you were watching that, as a former great pitcher, as a guy who's a World Series champion, as a guy who's an all-star, and how good you were, can you imagine? I mean, the ball, the way it was flying out at Dodger Stadium was crazy. Yeah, yeah it was shocking, but when I look back on this, it's unfortunate because for whatever reason, the A's are always playing the day games in the postseason. They always make sure of that. Everyone, I think pretty much every one of the games, for the most part, was a day game. So yeah. 
Same thing at Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium. During the day, hey, the baseball flies. Now, was there anything to do with the baseball itself, too? Possibly, but it's a different beast in the day as compared to the night at both of the stadiums. But, uh, you know, you know, there were some swings there. I was shocked how far some of the baseballs were going. Yeah, that, that's for sure. But then all of a sudden, you look down at when they played the games down at Texas for the, at Ranger Stadium there in Globe Life Field. It was a completely different beast. I mean, you had to hit the ball to – the one area, because I was telling a bunch of the people for the Dodgers, the one area that I saw when the Angels played there, that any carry at all was left center. Whether you're a right-handed batter or a left-handed batter, there was a little carry there. But other than that, baseball wasn't flying out of there at that point. So uh, it was still a, a pretty cool series to see because every one of the series, as it progressed, were two teams that didn't like each other, which I think is great for the game. <laughs> you know, you had the Yankees and the Rays. They didn't like each other. Right. You had the Astros, you know, going against the A's. They certainly don't like each other. You know, you had the Padres and Dodgers going at it. So there was some – and then you had, you know, Miami and the Braves. So I, I thought it was great for the game how it worked out that way where never, never everyone's going to shake hands and say hi and, hey, this is fun. Hey, we don't like each other. And that's what it was good to see that where teams really fought every game and every pitch throughout the entire series. Yeah, for the first time we got like whether it's an NFL or a – a college basketball, like a term tournament feel where, like you said, no one like each other. It was a lot of fun. Like, you know, back in the days when you, you played in the play, I mean, you guys hated the Yankees. I mean, there's something about that when you have these rivalries, I mean, you can talk I me. Mean, what was it like back in the day? You guys, you were the small market. You hated the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, the first day I made it to the big leagues, George Brett, and he said some few choice words long, but I'll try to keep it clean for you here, Chris. But he says, I don't care if we lose every game as long as we beat the Yankees every game. That's all that matters. We could be, well, we played about 12 times or whatever. We could be, you know, 100, I mean, oh, 12 and, and 140 or 150. I don't care as long as we beat the Yankees every game. It was a dislike for each other. You know, growing up in Philly, anyhow, you always had that chip on your shoulder for New York, so you always had a little bit of an edge. But as soon as George started saying that, I was like, hey, I'm all for that, man, because we want to beat the Yankees every single game. And it's the only, the real shame of it all was the fans not being able to be there, because that would have been, that would have been huge. You know, can you imagine up there in Oakland and the A's are in the, in the ballpark there? That would have been insane. That would have been absolutely insane. Same thing, you know, even down at Houston and same with the Yankees and the Rays, all these teams just the dislike they have for each other would have been fueled even more so with the fans in the stands. So I know I haven't totally told you about this. So my grandfather was the first third baseman ever to be the MVP in baseball, Bob Elliott with the Boston Braves. And it's kind of like why I grew up loving George Brett. As I grew up in San Diego, he was an Orange County guy and I love George. So I followed his entire career. I went and watched George get inducted in the Baseball Hall of Fame with uh, Nolan Ryan and Robin Yount. I'm a huge George. And that's how I followed your entire career because I love George. It wasn't that I was a Royals guy. I love George Brett. And the thing about, you know, and, and, and actually George has, I've actually gotten some, he's written me some stuff and I've gotten a little interaction with him. Uh, it's what, when we talk about Hall of Famers, we were talking about the Hall of Fame induction and the the new list of Hall of Famers coming out today. It's like, there are guys who are Hall of Famers and there are guys who are not. And like, when you look at George Brett, that, I mean, you played with some great players, but when you look at players and you get to broadcast for one of them right now, 
and arguably probably the greatest player you may have ever seen in Mike Trout. Like, as a player, you understand, right? There's a – that's a Hall of Fame guy, and that's not. Like, like right, isn't there, like, something as players you understand that? Yeah, I mean, you always say he's a great player. Well, there's a difference between a Hall of Fame player and a great player or even a good player. I mean, George batting titles in three different decades, uh, big moments. You know, you look out throughout his entire career, he always came through in the big moments. He was a, he won a gold glove at, at third base. He, you know, he ran the bases exceptionally well, doubles, triples, home runs, everything, stolen bases. I mean, he was arguably one of the best players. But at the time, he was one of the top all-time as far as voting percentages going in the Hall of Fame. And, and part of it, too, is everyone loved him in the media because he was always there. And that's what we all learned. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, watching him, whether he had a good game or a bad game, when a reporter came in to ask a question, he was right there to answer it. He wasn't snarky. He wasn't going to give him a short, quick answer just to get out of his face. He gave an in-depth answer every single time. And that's, that's what we all learned as young players from him. That's why we all you know, showed the courtesy for people in, in the media for that reason. But he's, everything about him was a Hall of Famer. I mean, just the way he performed on the field, the way he took care of his young teammates off the field, you know, let me and Sabe live there at his house our first year in the big leagues. He let me stay there my second year in the big leagues until he helped me find a condo down there in Kansas City area. So he was, there's something about Hall of Fame players that when you say their names, Hall of Famer. That's you it, had, period. You and Brett Saberhagen lived at his house? Yeah, our first year, first month of the season. And then he found us a condo down at, down at the Country Club Plaza. And then our lease ran out, so here we are in the playoffs. As we move back into his place, he goes, oh, I got these two knuckleheads again back in my house. But it was so much fun being able to say, tell my friends and my parents, hey, by the way, I'm living with George Brett. They're like, no way. It was like the coolest thing ever. So when I – so for years I did the Raiders pre- and post-game show, and then I actually went to work for the Raiders, and Matt Millen was doing um, – four-time Super Bowl champion Matt Millen – was doing our preseason broadcast and he told the story of Bo Jackson how when they were they were in LA and Al Davis signed Bo Jackson Bo just showed up to practice no one knew and all of a sudden this running back was running over I mean you're talking about Ted Hendricks Hall of Famer Howie Long like they can't stop this guy and they're like they had no idea it was Bo Jackson and it's like if anybody knows how great of an athlete and how amazing Bo Jackson was. It is you because when they did the 30 for 30, you're all over that. I mean, really, you want to talk about one of the great athletes that's ever lived. I mean, talk about Bo Jackson, who you got to play with. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I remember seeing Matt Millen and all those guys in complete awe of watching Bo play because after the season, Bo would give me sideline passes every time. So I walked through the tunnel going down there and, I felt like, wow, I feel like I'm on the Raiders football team. But walking on, I'm real on the sidelines, and 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 Steve Gullick, I mean Bob Golick would be right there, just looking like this dude is not real. I go, yeah, we say that every single day on the on the baseball diamond because he would literally fly by people, but if he happened to be in his way, he would just run you right over. And everyone else is just completely gassed trying to make a tackle against him. And it was funny because he dressed in the locker room because he came there after the season had already started. So his basically his locker room was in the training room. So I'm, I'm in there. We're, we're talking after the games and you guys are all beat up for the football game. Like Howie Long at one time, his finger was like bent the other way. And next thing you know, they pull it back in place and he's just having a conversation. I'm like, Oh my God, I'd be like dying and screaming. 
But I mean, he did. He was so fast, so strong on the football field that every single player, every one of his teammates, were just shocked at the things he was able to do. I mean, you're not even in any practice. You're not in any of those, you know, two a dayers like everyone else had to go through. He's literally walking from the baseball field and right on the football field. Which, and these guys, you know, they weren't they weren't babying him at all. They were trying to kill him as well. So he knew that. But just watching him to do his thing. So, I mean, I love what he did on the baseball field, but watching him so close up and hearing the sounds of guys trying to tackle him and then screaming like, man, how did I miss him? He understood because he was so fast and such a phenomenal athlete. You know, you know, for, for our younger listeners, they don't understand like, like what Michael Jordan was for Nike. Bo Jackson, the Bo Nose campaign was well before that, and that's what started all that. If Bo Jackson would have just said, I'm going to play in Kansas City forever, I'm just going to play in baseball, what would that career have looked like? I still think you're, you're talking about you're going to look at a Hall of Famer. because, And he was at that point where he was deciding he was just going to play baseball because he knew to be a Hall of Fame-type player in baseball that the commitment had to be there not only during the baseball season but during the offseason because that's where you learn and start reading how to hit certain pitches where, you know, you're getting bat- batting practice all the time. You're working on your, your cuts in, in the outfield going left to right. I mean, he is, his athleticism allowed him to make phenomenal plays and his arm strength did, but to get to that next level, the hall of fame level, you had to practice that every single chance you could during the off season, but he had no chance to do that because he's playing football. And then no matter how strong and fast you are, you're going to have to make some pains for football because you're going to get hit. I remember him saying Atwater was a, it is cr- was a crusher there with the Broncos back in the day and you know all those things come into play so he never really had a full chance to focus completely on baseball and if he did I mean there was going to be some strikeouts in his game but there were strikeouts in Reggie Jackson's game as well but he could do stuff with the glove with his arm with his legs and with the power that he was on his way to that one of the going to be one of the greatest players and I think he would have been a more consistent batting average hitter as well I think he would have been you know, that 280 to 300 range consistently just because he can beat out a ground ball in the infield. I saw his first major league hit, a ground ball to second base as a right-handed batter, and he beats it out. I mean, no one does that. So I think this, this, those things come into play, and he was always going to have that ability to just outrun a baseball, whether hitting it or catching it, that he was going to be a phenomenal player. And it's just a shame because even, you know, talking to the younger generation, even a, a Trouty or something, trying to explain – they see some of the things with Bo, but to be able to see him on the field to do the things he did was phenomenal. He was great for our game because we often said baseball needs to you know, promote itself so much better. Bo was literally that guy. Where I remember when we flew back from the All-Star game, which he hit that home run in 89. We landed in New York, and it was like I was hanging out with Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. People were just swarming him in, you know, in the airport where – most baseball players can walk anywhere, and nobody really notices them. But Bo, that wasn't the case. So it was it was really unbelievable, that moment. It's a shame it only lasted for a short period of time because, you know, we, we could be saying and talking about him like we're talking about Trouty right now where you're just talking about a phenomenon that we were lucky enough to be able to see on a, on a really long, consistent basis. You know, my years doing baseball and football, I, I, I say on my talk show, Bo Jackson's the greatest athlete I've ever seen. I mean, that that like, I don't care how long it was, and like Mike Trout is literally one of the ba- greatest baseball players we've ever seen. I mean, 
you know how much he's beaten us up. I mean, he's got like 36 career home runs against the A's. He's not even 30 and what he's done. in. But I have never seen anyone like Bo Jackson. As great as like Mike Trout. I mean, I covered Barry Bonds, uh, Ricky Henderson. I've never seen anyone like Bo. But getting to the Angels, um, you know, you hire a new GM. And I like Billy Epler. I thought he was a good guy. I got to know him a little bit. Um, you know, the still a thing, you know, it's like, how are you going to get 27 outs? I mean, you know, as, as a great pitcher and as an all-star, it's like, how are you going to get, you can have all the offense of the world in the world, but how are you going to get people out? Yeah. And, you know, I was really good friends with Billy Epler. We, you know, we till this day still text each other back and forth. I thought he was a, just a great dude, a great mind. It just, it didn't work out. And, you know, Perry coming around, our, our new GM, we actually, we're doing a presser with him tomorrow. I, I knew his dad. His dad was a clubhouse attendant many years in Kansas City, Zach Manazian. So it's really? it's pretty cool. I mean, the connection. I mean, he started out as a, a bat boy, a clubhouse attendant. You know, the thing I love about him, though, even though he's still so young, he's 40 years old, he's a scout. He was a scout. And for me, I always believe if you were in, into the scouting department and scouting players, it's all about that you can, you know, there's going to be a lot of data, and he's he's very good with that as well. He's he's worked well in Toronto, and and he's had a lot of success there, and had a ton of success there as a, as a Atlanta as well. So I mean, he's got a lot of talent, but you, you're right, he has to. You know, we you can't keep going in and signing pitchers to one year deals and hoping that if you sign four of them, that one of them pan out to be pretty good. Dylan Bundy was really good last year for the Angels, but you just can't keep doing that. You have to have a top of the rotation guy. I mean, I look at Oakland right now, they've developed, I love some of the young arms. Now, Patrick Sandoval and Griffin Canning, you know, maybe they, they become that, that kind of dominant pitchers as well, but you just, you got to learn from somebody at the top of your rotation that had success. And I, I always felt, I learned so much listening to Dennis Leonard or Paul Splitorf when I first came up, then a lot of, with Bud Black after that, because, Hey, you can always have talent, and you can always have the arm, but you got to figure out how to way to get people out in key moments, how to get people out when you don't have your best stuff, or sometimes when you have your best stuff, you don't overthrow. And to learn that, you have to have a veteran leader in your rotation that not only is a leader, but is really good. I mean, a guy like you know Trevor Bauer is going to be, everyone's going to try to you know bring him in, and, and it's understandable the year he had last year. And he's developed, but he, when you look at it, he probably learned so much from Corey Kluber in Cleveland. Just his work ethic. I mean, those things you learn from a very good veteran starting pitcher, a top of the rotation guy that makes all your younger pitchers better. Yeah, that was the thing at the winter meetings in San Diego. I mean, it's hard to believe how long ago that was, but it was like, oh, that's great. Anthony Rendon signs with, I mean, you got another stud offensive player. And it's like, okay, you're going to score a lot of runs. But my question has always been, how are the Angels going to get 27 outs? And the yeah. answer's not there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, doing the games and sitting up in the booth, you know, I've always been. I, I predicate my a lot of my analysis during the game, not always just about you know the numbers and all that stuff. I look body language, and I, you're a you know pitcher on the mound or a batter in the batter's box, that I can read things. So when you have pitchers that are struggling throwing strikes, or not, the entire team on the field, their shoulders start to drop. They're not on their toes anymore, and they feel, okay, we got to score eight runs a game. I mean, you're just not going to – you can't win that way. You just can't win 
every day because good pitching will always get out the best of hitters. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be Mike Trout. If you got a good arm and you're on that day, he's not getting hit. That's just the bottom line. So you got to win some games two to one. You got to win some games three to two. And if you're not capable of doing that, then it makes for for a tough season. And really, what it comes in, you know, and not that we were able to be around the clubhouse this past season, but when you have a guy like Anthony Rendon and you don't get a chance to see him in those big moments because we know what he can do, it, it's tough because that's why you got to address. And that's the one thing I know he's going to do is is the pitching is is first and foremost. Yeah, you're going to make some drafts. There is some good, a couple good arms in the minor league system, but you know what? You got to, you got to look outside the box. And the cool thing for me as a, a GM coming in, you're not married to your farm system because you're going to have to make some tough decision. When you're a GM and you draft guys, it's hard to trade them because they're almost like they're your kids. But if you're a GM coming in, you go, you know what? I think he's a good player, but I think I can get a better player to help us win right now. If that makes sense to you. No, totally. And you know, I, you know, looking at what you have today and me being a former really bad college pitcher to where you as a World Series champion and all-star, what is it like for you to sit there in the booth, watch these guys now throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour with movement and have trouble getting guys out? I mean, what, 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 as a guy who can truly evaluate greatness in pitching, uh, like, how do you view modern day pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour and having a 4.5 to a 5 ERA? I, I always believe it. And any chance I ever get it when any of the young pitchers would come up and just try to ask me a question, because I did the same thing to Don Drysdale, you know, Tom Seaver, Burt Blylevin, Steve Carl, all those guys I would talk to and, and ask questions how to get better. If you have that stuff, if you're throwing upper 90s with movement and, and great secondary pitches, there's no reason for you ever as a pitcher, and I mean ever, to give a hitter credit. And some, and I see it so often where, you know, the first pitch, ball one. I'm thinking, you're throwing 98. Why are you worried about hitting the corner? Try to go, and I always was a believer in this, and Bob Boone told me this as a catcher, trust your movement. To throw it towards the middle of the plate, trust movement, it's going to get to a corner. If it stays straight in the middle of the plate, well, you know what? It deserved to be hit. But trust movement, because if you get ahead of the count, 0-1 is compared to 1-0, 2-0, which I see so often in pitchers today, I'm thinking, why on earth would you ever fall behind when you have stuff that can get people out every single pitch you throw? I mean, I, I look at a guy like Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. I, he's one of my favorite pitchers. He literally looks at a hitter and says, you have no chance. And literally, they don't. I mean, he'll, he'll make a mistake here and there because you're, you're a human being. But he's a throwback guy where he knows his stuff is good, and he knows the hitter has no chance. Now, you know, everyone, like I said, every once in a while you're going to make a mistake. But if you have that mindset that they have no chance, and I don't have to respect that hitter at the plate. I'm, I'm not talking about as a person, but as a guy swinging the bat, then, then you have a chance to be successful. But if you give too much credit to a hitter, they will, they will wear you out, no matter how hard you throw. Well, I got to tell you, um, in these times, you coming on the program means a lot. I mean, obviously, I, I, I followed your entire career as a pitcher and then as a broadcaster, and you've been so good to us over the years. 
And like we've said a lot, we want to bring familiar voices on to help people out. And uh, yours obviously has been one on our program for a long, long time. So thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Be safe, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Chris, I really appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone listening out there today as well. So uh, enjoy the family and just realize everything is going to be normal at some point. We'll be at the ballpark, and uh, I, I can't wait for fans in Oakland to give me grief like they always did over the years. That's all I look forward to. <laughs> Take care, Gooby. You got it, Chris. Have a good one, man. And we'll end with Mike Petriello. What's really cool about this is he was just on the show, MLB Now, on the MLB Network. And he got off the show and came on A's Cast Live. And they had just put Trevor Bauer through the shredder. And that's where they're breaking down all the numbers. Is he worth this supposed big contract that he's going to get? Here's Mike Petriello from MLB.com. Straight off the TV set and now on A's Cast Live, Mike, how are you? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. I'm actually still sitting at MLB Network Studios in New Jersey. Happy to talk to you. So here I watch the show every day, right? All of us baseball guys do. And you're about to put Trevor Bauer through the shredder, and all of a sudden I get a phone call that I had to take. What happened when you put Trevor Bauer through the shredder? I will watch it later on, but what happened? Well, it was a reasoned, I hope, discussion of the pros and cons about him. I mean, the pros are obvious. The man just won the Cy Young Award, obviously. He is the clear best starting pitcher available, and there's a a huge jump from him to the next level of, you know, Paxton and, and Porcello and Tanaka and all those guys. Uh, there's, there's the negatives too, you know, obviously it can be uh, abrasive and sometimes offensive on social media. And then there's also the questions about his consistency. He was great this year. No question. He was great in 2018. Every other year he's at an ERA over four. So what kind of guy are you really getting? There's, there's really a lot to think about here, uh, both in terms of what he is going to be worth and how much better he is than everybody else. It is a real fair question of trying to judge somebody on 12 starts or 11 starts versus 31, 32, 33. Like, can a guy really just gear up knowing that he's just pitching for a couple months? I mean, how much does that scare you if you're out there and you're looking to give him big time money? It doesn't scare me so much. I mean, I think you're right about the fact that the uh, the 11 starts have changed our perception considerably over what we thought about him coming into the year because last year he got traded to the Reds and in 10 starts, he had an ERA of over six, right? So should 11 starts change our perception that much? And there's also the fact that with the regional schedule, he faced only central teams and the, the central offenses outside of the White Sox were generally terrible in both leagues. So there's that. But you look at the underlying metrics, he did not succeed by accident, right? If you look at the advanced stuff like the spin rate, the the pitch movement, all of that stuff completely off the charts, you know, and we know that he is uh, kind of a, a scientist, kind of an engineer. He has worked tirelessly to improve uh, his movement and his spin rate and pitch design and all of it. So, you know, that's a credit to him. I, I, as I said on the show, I push back a little bit on this idea that he's like this self-made man who overcame uh, deficiencies with hard work because, you know, the guy did pitch at UCLA. He was a golden spikes winner. He was the third overall pick in the draft. It, it's not like he's the 28th round pick who like came out of nowhere. Like this is a highly touted prospect and actually took him a while to break out. Uh, but again, he's got a platform year. That nobody else can match with the ERA below two with the Cy Young Award. I, he's going to get paid no matter what. Yeah, we've had him on the program. He's a fascinating guy. He's a really smart guy. I mean, you guys played that clip of him talking to Brian about 
you know, using technology and pitch shaping and all of that. But then I think about like my own golf game, Mike, the more I think about, I can be really good for like six, seven, maybe eight holes, but there's going to be a lot of holes on during that round. Things aren't going to go well. So yeah, I'd be a better golfer if golf was only seven holes versus. <laughs> well, that's true. But I mean, you know, everybody's going to need pitching and probably more so than ever this year, because if you look at the, the innings, leaders this year every the guys at the top were like what 70 75 80 now you're going to ask those guys if we are fortunate enough to get a whole season next year to go out and throw 180 200 i mean this is something else that works in his favor he hasn't always been good but he's pretty always been durable you know this is not a guy who's had a lot of arm issues and that might add him a little bit extra value because you're going to need more pitching than you know what to do with next year what did you think the outgoing comments by theo epstein when talking about the game not being as much fun to watch that maybe what he and his contemporaries have done is, you know, they have strategies that win, but it's not the prettiest and it makes it a lot longer. what do you think about those comments? He's clearly correct. A hundred percent correct. And I think people maybe expect me to push back on that because I am, you know, a stats focused writer. Uh, but no, we've been saying this for years. There's, there's a big difference between a game, you know, trying your best to win and trying your best to entertain. You know, I think that's obviously true. The thing that I think people get confused about is that the way that's going to change is not from the teams. You're not going to have a team suddenly say, you know what, I am going to try to bunt and I'm going to stop trying to hit the ball in the air because you might as well say, I'm going to try not to win. And who wants that? What you really need to do are you need to get some rules and there are some pretty easy rules you could put into place to help change that, get more balls in play. The problem is going to be the commissioner can't just you know implement those rules. A lot of them have to be negotiated with the union. Clearly, that's a complicated thing right now. And then even if you could do that, people hate change. I mean, people lost their minds over intentional walks not actually being pitched anymore. What if you did something major? What if you moved the mound, right? Like people would absolutely lose their minds. So it's it, the rules aren't that difficult to come up with, but the implementation is pretty complicated. You're also an analytics broadcaster. Let's not forget those broadcasts that you guys do, uh, especially during the postseason. Those are fabulous. I wish you guys would do that more. Well, thank you. We, we do have fun, and, and you kind of get to the heart of it there. Yes, we're talking about stats. We're not talking about wins and saves and batting average for sure, but mostly we have fun. I, like, I never want those to be boring and feel like you're in math class, and we, we have a blast because people just want to see guys talking about baseball who really like the sport, and I feel like I can love the sport and also accept that there are things I would like to see improve at the same time. You know, those are not, those are not mutually exclusive things. You know, I think about Theo, and a couple of people have brought it up today, and I can just see the headline. The man that helped ruin baseball is now in charge of saving baseball. Uh, some people brought that up, like, why not bring him in? Because obviously he's looking for something else, right? We're seeing the same thing with Billy Bean. I mean, after a while, you, you need new challenges in your life. Um, what about bringing Theo in, saying, you know what, how can we make the, the game more entertaining for the fans? Well, I don't think that fans of the Cubs and Red Sox would agree that Theo Epstein has ruined baseball. I think they're going to hold him up as a deity. And, and you're right. Like, I don't want to speak for him because I, I don't know him at all. I've never met him. Uh, but I can certainly imagine like you have you have already toppled like two of the most notable curses in sports. Is it that interesting to try to go do the same thing for a third time? You know, maybe he wants to be an ownership group. Maybe he wants to be, uh, you know, in, in the commissioner's office and helping to implement those changes and, and turn the game into something even better than it is. Like he's in a really interesting position because he's still a relatively young man. I think he's only about 45 or 46 years old. 
he's clearly financially secure to walk away from the $10 million he just did. He can write his own ticket in sports or even out of sports if he wants. And if he wants to remain in the game, which it seems like he does, uh, there there's really nobody better to kind of be brought in and to make some of these changes because he's been hands-on and seeing a lot of them happen. Yeah, some people even suggested politics, which I thought was interesting. But he's very, he's very bright, very talented. And as you said, at that age, nowhere close to being done. It'll be really, really fascinating to see what, what he ends up doing with this, I guess, second part of his career. I mean, a lot of talk now on Robbie Cano testing positive again. Were you surprised by that? I think you're always surprised. Well, let me back up for a second. I wasn't surprised so much that he got caught i was surprised by what he got caught for uh just like the type of steroid he got caught for is like old school brute force not the sort of thing you take you know that's next generation hoping to slip under the radar so i do feel like there's more to this story that we don't know about because who would take that and expect not to get caught it just doesn't happen anymore and you know he's already got guaranteed money he's not likely to get another big contract in three years when this is done so there's certainly the thought of what on earth are you doing um, but I really, I feel like we don't know the story yet. I'd be very interested to hear what happens. He cannot say, oh, I didn't know it was an accident. Like any benefit of the doubt on that after already being caught once is totally out the window. But I'll be interested to hear from him if he owns up to it, if he has an explanation, because right now the whole thing is very mysterious. Oh, it's the, it's the you know, we've had it have a, a couple times. Oh, it's the, it's an over-the-counter substance. I didn't know what I was taking. I try and tell everybody, Mike. Everything a human being needs for performance is inside those clubhouses. Any Everything that's legal that you can take. I've been reassured this multiple times. If you go into the A's clubhouse or the Yankees clubhouse, they've got everything you need. You never need to go anywhere else. Yeah, that's that's true. Like they make it clear on the bottles, you know, like you could maybe get away with this once and say it was a mistake. It was an accident. I didn't know. But twice, who is going to believe that? Nobody's going to believe that. Now, I remember this with like Alex Rodriguez. So that means he will not get his salary for this season, correct? Correct. And then what bothers me about that is for certain teams, like what happened with the Yankees, that gave them payroll relief. So it's like, are, are they, are, are the Mets really that bummed that he tested positive? They don't have to pay him. And now maybe they can go after like DJ LeMayhew. It's certainly like a nice chunk of change that goes back on their payroll. So he was due $24 million, but the Mariners still had to cover part of that. So I think the Mets saved $20 million. It's important to remember, though, this isn't the end. Like He will sit out this year, and then he's still got two more years after that oh. where he is eligible to come back to the Mets. Now, who knows what it looks like by then? Do they buy him out? Do they try to welcome him back? I don't know, but they're still going to be on the hook for the money. Uh, but you know, I saw a couple of players yesterday tweet that basically this should be a lifetime ban. You know, like they don't want to be associated with this. And I think that would probably be a pretty popular opinion. The only thing is, again, that's not something you can just implement. You know, you got to get the union to agree to that. And then is the union agreeing to get guys' salaries wiped away? It gets really, really complicated. Uh, But you're right. If I'm the Mets, you know, I've got this defense that hasn't been very good because everybody's always playing out of position. And now I can put McNeil back at second and I can move Nimmo to a corner and I can go get an actual center fielder. Like this opens up a lot of doors for them. That's unbelievable. Uh, so my my producer, Cody, is an amateur baseball GM, and he is predicting that everybody will be signing with the Mets this offseason. Do you agree? Literally everybody. I think that's right. I think there are about, you know, 38 different relievers, and the Mets will somehow sign all of them and buy new roster spots. That's right. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, they, 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 they got the money. I, I, I got to think they're – how many of the prize free agents would you say – 
you'd gamble on you think that they'll land? I think two. I do think people need to rein in their expectations a little bit because this is not a video game. And Steve Cohen certainly didn't make his billions by you know spending billions all at once. He's going to want to try to do this uh, the quote unquote right way. So I would be shocked if they didn't come away with, let's say, you know, Romuto and Springer or, or LeMahieu and Springer or, or some combination like that. Right. But they're not going to get Romuto and Springer and, and, and Bauer and Liam Hendricks and trade for Lindor. Like, I think some people think that they're going to come out of this and have like the greatest collection of talent in the history of Major League Baseball. And I, I don't think it's going to work that way. That's what I said to Cody. I'm like, are they getting extra? Ro- can Cohen buy extra roster spots? I mean, how many roster spots are they going to have? <laughs> Yeah, they still got to put a team together. And I know everybody thinks this is going to be a winter of belt tightening, and it probably is, but there's still 29 other teams out there. Some of them are going to want to try to add some pieces and win next year. You know, I got to think if I'm a general manager and I want Lindor, I'm calling his agent and saying, hey, can we get a deal done now? Because if I can't get a deal done with him, I don't know if I'm giving you top prospects when after this season, which could be another shortened season, I can just offer him as a free agent and not have to lose anything. How, how do you think it's going to go down with him and the Indians? Yeah, it's complicated because it can't actually work out exactly the way you said unless the Indians allow it. You know, they have to give permission. I, I can't be the Mets and call up his agent and say, let's talk about a deal because he's under contract with another team. I think we learned a little bit from the Mookie Betts trade last year. You know, the, the Betts trade, a one year left on his deal, obviously a very talented superstar player who I would argue, as much as I like Lindor, I think Betts is better. And the return that the Red Sox got was, it was okay, right? And obviously they also got the Dodgers to eat some salary in David Price. But I think if you are trying to trade Lindor, if you're Cleveland, you're going to get back good talent, but you are not going to get back like Wander Franco. You know, you're not going to get back the the next Luis Robert. You know, you're going to get something good, but not something great because it's only one year. And as you said, it might be one shortened year and then he's off to free agency. So I think that's going to make things a little tough for them. Let's end on this. I want you to give me a team that you think is going to have a fascinating offseason and it can't be the Mets. Who oh, else? See, everybody, everybody wants to take the Mets. Yeah, I think that is um, that is a really, really good question. I think I'm going to go maybe with the uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays because, you know, they just made the World Series. They're really good, but they've lost Charlie Morton. You know, their offense still leaves a lot to be desired. I don't think they're going to go out and be big spenders or anything. Uh, but they've been very good for a couple of years. They need at least one more starting pitcher. They probably could use another bat. And I never put anything creative past them. Like, could I wake up tomorrow and find out they traded Blake Snell or Kevin Kiermaier? I don't think I'd be shocked by that at all, because that's just what they do. Well, look good, play good. You look good today on TV. You did a good job. We always appreciate the time. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We'd like to thank Nick Swisher, Mark Gubazaw, and Mike Petriello. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.